Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to you. Thank you for being with us this morning on this beautiful Christmas morning. We are so glad to have you. Whether it's your thousandth time here or your very first time coming into our building, we're just glad to have this opportunity to worship with you on this wonderful holiday. If you're joining us online, thank you as well from wherever you are for choosing to take the time out to worship together with us this morning. We are excited to lift our voices, to celebrate, to open God's word as we remember Christ Jesus, our King, who has come. I'd love to invite you to rise in body or in spirit for our call to worship, which comes from Luke chapter 2, where the angel proclaims, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is Please, let's join our voices in that heavenly song this morning, singing praises to Christ Jesus, our King.
together. Joy to the world. passage of scripture together from the prophet Isaiah who foretold the coming of Christ our King and told us what he would be like and I want you to hear your own voices and the voices of those around you speaking these words into the room let's read this together from Isaiah chapter 9 the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. upon a midnight clear heaven's song broke through the air peace and goodwill toward men born now in Bethlehem 
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we celebrate you today. We celebrate Jesus. We celebrate all that you have done for us and all that you are. Your goodness and your love and your beauty is more than we can fathom. And so with everything we have, as best as we know how, we worship you today. We bring all of ourselves before you today. Thank you for inviting us to yourself, for inviting us into this place to encounter you, to meet you, and especially on this beautiful day where we specifically remember when you sent your son who would become man, who would become Christ incarnate, who would take on flesh and ultimately would bear our sin on the cross, would rise victorious. This is what we celebrate today, that Jesus is reigning over all. And so we thank you for writing this story and inviting us into it. We pray for hearts this morning that are open to you, that are receptive to what you have for us this morning, that you would fix our hearts and our minds on you as we continue through this day of celebration and joy. Father, we love you. All of this is for you, and it's in Christ's perfect and beautiful and matchless name that we pray. Amen. And you may be seated.
Amen. Well, the Lord has come, and today we come together to celebrate uh, this special day, and so we want to thank you for being with us uh, today. We hope everybody has a Merry Christmas, and Merry Christmas to you. I had so much fun uh, chatting with those that are watching online this morning, and so if you're watching online with us this morning, uh, we're glad you could be there. Sorry I had to step off, <laughs> but if you have any questions, uh, please be sure. I know Logan is our online host. He's there. I know he'd love to talk with you, and we're glad that you're here with us. Uh, today as well. It's fun for us just to be able to come together and to celebrate, to find some rest and some peace and just be able to enjoy uh, one another's company on this special day. My good friend Kathy uh, moved up to uh, uh, Illinois uh, not too long ago. She's been attending Springbrook for a little while and we found out that we both spent some time in Oklahoma, so I have a Sooner friend. And so uh, I hope Kathy, I think she's watching online today. Thank you for my hat. Um, it makes me feel festive, but I just don't feel like I can keep wearing it. <laughs> I'm torn. I'm torn. I want to be in the Christmas spirit, but I look like a goof. <laughs> Thank you, Kathy, for that. <laughs> Thank you for the coffee. I had some people give me coffee after last night's service, and so I, my hope, my dreams came true. I hoped for coffee, and I got it. <laughs> we're glad you're with us today. If uh, you are visiting with us this morning, or if you're online, we're glad you're with us. There's a place for you to fill out an online connection card if you're online or uh, in your seat. Um, you should have a connection card, so you can just fill that out at any point during the service. If you have questions, uh, please uh, let us know. I also want to take a moment to thank all of you that have been participating in our year-end offering. Right now, we are over 50% funded for our year-end offering towards our $25,000 goal. And so I want to thank you for those of you that have been supporting that. Um, I am grateful that our heater is working. I'm grateful for uh, the opportunity we have to invest in our staff. I'm really excited about the work that God is doing in and through our ministry uh, locally and then globally as we seek to reach the community and the world for Christ. And so it's exciting as we move into the next year. Uh, we know we have some exciting things planned. And so if you want to know more about our year-end offering, uh, please visit our website, uh, springbrook.org slash year-end. And that will be going through, I think, about the middle of January. And so if you want to make the end-of-year cutoff, for those of you that are thinking about taxes, you, know, you can do that today. But thank you for supporting the work that God is doing in and through this uh, ministry. We're grateful for your uh, generosity. And then guys, I want to let you know, it's only, it's less, a little over a month away. We have our Men's No Regrets conference coming up. We're going to have guys uh, throughout our community and our church coming together um, to encourage one another, equip one another. And so men, if you're interested in uh, learning a little bit more about No Regrets, um, you can go to our website, springbrook.org. Uh, but register for that soon. I know they've got some special gifts for guys uh, if you register early. And so if you want to know more information about that, uh, please visit our website. And then lastly, uh, next Sunday, we're going to be kicking off a new series through uh, Psalm 119. And so we have some uh, materials out at the uh, uh, book stand. I think the, the workbook that will accompany this series, I think it's $5, it's called Cherish. And so you don't have to do that as a part of your small group. You don't have to be in a small group to do that. But if you just want to pick up one of those resources, they're out in the lobby for you. And then uh, as of today, we have over 30 people have signed up for our Bible reading plan through Psalm uh, 119. So for the next month, uh, we're going to be reading through that together. We're going to kick that off on January 3rd. And so if you want to sign up to follow along with our Bible reading plan, um, you can do that on our website, uh, springbrook.org slash Bible plan. It's on your app as well. And be sure to follow us on the YouVersion Bible app. So it's been encouraging to see how many of you have jumped in uh, to read the Bible together. And so it's, we can encourage each other in that way and uh, really help us set the stage for what God has for us uh, next year. Well, today is what? Christmas. So we're coming together to celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus. And so we've been working through a series on Advent leading up to the anticipation of that day. You know, we talked last night about the fact that you know, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, but we're celebrating it. And so Christmas says as much about who we are together as it does about the birth of Christ. We know who Jesus is, but when we gather together in this way, it says a lot about who we are. It talks about the importance of Christ in our life and who we are together is the body of Christ. And so this is an important day for us to be able to celebrate um, together. Today is December 25th, 2022. Do you know why you write that date? Tomorrow will be the 26th, 2022, and the next year's 2023. Do you know why it's 2022? I mean, why is it not 3,000 or why is it not some other date? Everywhere across the globe, the entire world, every single person in the entire world that can write, or, or, you know, little infants, but, you know, any person, if you were to ask them today's date, they would give you that date. Now, we've got different time zones, and so we've got those kind of things, but this entire globe 
marches to the calendar of a date. And that date has everything to do with the birth of Christ. And so whether they recognize it or not, whether people recognize it or not, whether they believe in God or not, whether they believe in Jesus or not, every single person that writes today's date on a piece of paper, or if you see it written somewhere, every single person in the globe is cued and working off of the date that Jesus was born. Now, we don't know the exact day, and so there's some, you know, some things in the dating of this, but, but Christ changed everything. The birth of Jesus Christ changed everything about how we relate to one another, about how we relate to God, and certainly as we think about our calendar. So I want to encourage you, every time that you see a date, you know, tomorrow, maybe next week at work, that can be your cue to remember the fact that Jesus changes everything. And so when you see a date or you write a date next year or when you get your checkbook out or when you're writing a date on the top of your paper or when, when somebody asks you, hey, what's today's date? I want you to remember Jesus changes everything. You know, this is an important, this is an important thing. You know, Jesus is the source of our hope. He's the source of our peace. He's the source of our love. He's the source of, uh, you know, the joy that we can experience in spite of our circumstances. And not everyone gets as excited about Jesus as I do. Not everyone gets excited about Jesus. There's many people that woke up this morning, and it could be just another holiday. And so I recognize that not everybody gets excited about Jesus. That's one of the realities that we live in in our culture. You know, many people are indifferent uh, to Christmas. Many people are indifferent to who Jesus is. And we looked at when Jesus was born in, in a manger, you know, there was an indifference. You know, there was indifference about his birth. There was no room for him in the inn. Nobody made room for this baby. Nobody made room for this pregnant woman that was carrying a Savior. You know, many people are indifferent to who Christ is. But you know what else is interesting? There are people that are also hostile to who Jesus is. I don't know if you've ever encountered a conversation with people that are hostile, you know, to who Jesus is. But we have missionaries around the globe right now that are coming together to celebrate in a way that they can't do it publicly because they're afraid of persecution. You know, we've got some of our pastors and some of our friends and some of the people that we're supporting from a ministry perspective right now that are in areas of the world right now where they will be persecuted for their faith. Not everybody is uh, indifferent to Christ. Some people are hostile. And that's not something that's new. That's been from the beginning of time, from the very first day that Jesus was born. The very first day that Jesus was born, there was hostility uh, towards him. In the book of Matthew, in chapter 2, if you brought a Bible, you can read along with me. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 for a few moments. But it talks about what happens after Jesus was born. And so we're celebrating that today. What happened right after Jesus was born? Almost immediately, you know, there was hostility towards him. And that's something that would continue as, as his ministry grew. As he grew older and his ministry grew, there, there continued to be hostility against him. You know, in Matthew chapter 2, uh, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, some wise men had come from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And this is some time later, but they're looking for this king that has been born, the king of the Jews, for we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him was troubled. Why was King Herod troubled about the birth of a baby? Well, I'll tell you why. Because he wanted to be king. There's no room for two kings in our life. We can't serve, we can't serve God and ourselves. There's no room for two kings. And here we see King Herod. He is troubled. He is upset because Jesus has come on the scene now as the king of the Jews. And he is troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. They didn't want their, their good thing being messed up. Things are going really smooth right now, and then Jesus comes on the scene and, and all of a sudden disrupts people's lives because Jesus wants to be first in our life. And so there's a conflict. Putting Jesus first in our life sometimes creates conflict in our lives, doesn't it? Because we want to be our own king. We don't want somebody telling us what to do. We don't want somebody telling us how we need to live our lives. We want to be the king of our own life. And that's what happens to King Herod. When he heard about Jesus being the king of the Jews, he is troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and he inquired of them where the, where the Christ was to be born. And these scribes and these Pharisees that he assembled, they're all the religious leaders. These are the guys that all went to seminary. These are the guys that know the Old Testament. They've got it all memorized. They know everything there is to know about, you know, about God and Scripture. And so he calls them all together and he wants to know where this child was born. 
where was this Christ to be born? They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. And from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people. And so King Herod hears this news, and it just further exacerbates his anger. He gets even more troubled when he hears more about Jesus. He was troubled at the beginning because, you know, now there's two kings, and he didn't want to wrestle with that. But now he's really troubled because he gets a glimpse of what this implications of Jesus' birth are. And he's so troubled that he summons the wise men secretly together in verse 7. And he says, he asked them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go search diligently for the child, and when you've found him, bring him to me so that I can worship him also. You know, under the skies of wanting to worship him, he's hoping that Jesus would come to him so that he could put him to death. You know, when you read down further in verse 13, it says that the uh, wise men, when they had departed, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and, and said, rise to, to Joseph, said, rise and take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you because Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And so Herod is not just troubled, but he wants to get rid of this new baby. And so we've got the birth of Jesus together that we're celebrating, but not everybody's happy about it. And, and, and we see that in Herod's life. He's been directly challenged. He's not happy about it. It happens for us today as we think about what does it mean to make Jesus the Lord of our life. I mean, all of us struggle to put Jesus in our life and make him first. But Herod is actually wanting to put him away. He's wanting to kill him. And so there's this plot. Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem, every single one of them, in that region who were two years old and under. And so he is so hostile about it, he's so troubled about it, that every single child that's under the age of two would be put to death. Now, there's a Christmas story for you, right? Merry Christmas, kids! (laughs) The birth of Jesus changes everything. And we each have to decide what we're going what what to do with our understanding about what Jesus is and what does that mean in our life. You know, the innkeeper and the people in that time were indifferent. So when Mary showed up, there's a, there's a sense that people were indifferent. Herod was hostile. But the chief priests and the scribes, they're the ones that surprised me the most. When you're reading down through this passage, we see that the chief priests and the scribes are the ones that Herod calls to them. And in uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 3 and 6, when Herod heard, he was troubled, and he assembled the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he inquired them, where was the Christ to be born? They told him, quoting a passage from Micah 5, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd his people." And so Herod and the priest all have a complete understanding of what's happening here. You know, they refer to him as the Christ. This is not just a baby in the manger. There's a realization that Jesus is the promised one, the Messiah that was good to come. There's a realization that he is the Christ. I was watching a uh, detective show this past week, and I love detective shows, and so they're interviewing some people. You know, somebody's uh, been murdered, and so the detective's questioning uh, this guy, and he says, well, how long, how well did you know the witness? Oh, I didn't know him very well at all. Well, you know, well, what were you doing last night? Well, I have an alibi. I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't anywhere near him. And so he's going on, he's getting questions, and finally out of frustration, he says, look, I didn't nail the guy. I don't even know a gun. And the detective goes, well, how did you know there was a gun involved? And the detective goes, gotcha. <laughs> you know, this is what happens here with, with, with Herod and these, uh, and these chief priests and scribes. Herod fully understood that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the one that was the promised Messiah. And you have the scribes that are taking a 700-year-old prophecy from the book of Micah and saying this applies to Jesus. And so both Jesus and the scribes and Herod, everyone is fully aware of who Jesus is. And then as Jesus starts his uh, ministry, you know, we see that this hostility would continue to grow. In Micah chapter 5, verse 1, we see the prophecy of Jesus 700 years coming true in the fulfillment of Christ's birth. 
And so there's a recognition of who he is at the very beginning. And then he starts his ministry in Luke 4. Um, the scribes and Pharisees are watching Jesus' ministry start. You know, Jesus is doing these great miracles. And uh, everyone in the community is speaking well of Jesus. They're talking about, hey, how great he is and, and, and how he's speaking with authority. And what do the scribes and Pharisees say? Isn't this just the carpenter's son? You know, isn't this Joseph's son? I mean, who is this guy to be doing these things? And so they've moved from recognizing that he's the Christ, the Messiah, to all of a sudden now being concerned, along with Herod, that he's disrupting their plans. And so then they start to question him. This is not, this is just Joseph's son. This guy's just a normal guy. You know, who is this guy? And then you get to Matthew in chapter 12, verse 13. Jesus is continuing to do miracles. He says to one man, stretch out your hand, and the man stretched out his hand. It was restored and healthy like the other one. But what did the scribes and the Pharisees, what were they doing? They went out and conspired against him and how to destroy him. Isn't that amazing? We went from the scribes and Pharisees waiting for the birth of a Savior, waiting for the Messiah, we have him taking these, this passage from Micah and applying it to Jesus, and everyone's excited. And all of a sudden, they're not excited anymore because Jesus is now confronting their lifestyle. He's confronting, he's confronting their beliefs, and he's for, forcing people to make a decision about who he is and who they're going to serve, and that creates some conflict. That's how It creates conflict, doesn't it? When we read through Scripture and we we talk about what does it mean to be a Christ follower. I mean, we want everyone to understand their need for a relationship with Christ. We want everyone to be assured of where they're going to spend eternity. We want everyone to experience the joy of having a relationship with Christ and having that life and having it to the full that Jesus provides. That's why we've been celebrating you know, all through this Advent season, the hope and the peace and the joy and the love and everything that can be ours through Christ. There's so much more to enjoying a relationship with Christ than just sitting around waiting for heaven. Being a Christ follower, it brings you joy. It enables you to find peace in circumstances where you normally can't find peace. Our relationship with Christ moves us beyond the things of this world and points us to things of heaven. But you know what else it does? It challenges us how we live in this world. It challenges our lifestyle. It challenges our priorities. It makes us make a decision about who we're going to serve. People around us in the things of this world, or are we going to serve a God that loves us desperately enough that he sent his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so we're called to make some decisions about what we do with Christ. And each one of us has to decide how we're going to respond. Many people go through life indifferent. That's probably the most, most of the people that I talk with are indifferent to Christ. Every once in a while we'll encounter somebody that's hostile. But, you know, what does it mean to respond? You know, how do we respond to Jesus in light of his birth. You know, each one of us is going to have to make a decision about what to do with that. You know, Jesus told the Pharisees, you know, look, you are searching the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and that they bear witness about me, but you refuse to come to me that you can have this life. And so there are people that have memorized scripture. There are people that are in scripture you know, they're, and they're searching for answers. Sometimes people search for answers outside the world. Every once in a while, people will pick up the Bible. But Jesus says, you're searching the scriptures because you think that in them you can find eternal life. These scriptures point to me and to who I am. The eternal life is available to me. We have to come to him. We have to place our faith in him. And we have to follow him. And it is there that we find life. And so how do we respond to that truth? You know, how did, the, how did the disciples respond to that truth? How did we see people responding to that truth after Jesus was born? You know, right after, immediately after Jesus was born, on the eighth day, Joseph and Mary, uh, they took him to be circumcised. It was a rite. Uh, it was a, something that they did. They took him into the priest. They took him into the tabernacle, and they had him circumcised. Back in our passage in Luke, after the birth of Jesus, we see immediately after his birth, at the end of eight days, he was circumcised. He was called Jesus, the name given to him by the angel before he was even conceived in the womb. Back in Luke chapter 2, beginning verse 22, it says this, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it was written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And they offered up a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. 
a pair of turtle doves and two pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous, and he was devout, and he had been waiting for the consolidation of, of the, consol- the consoling of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, they brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up, Simeon took him up in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have now seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people of Israel. And his father and mother marveled about what was being said to him. And Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, behold, the child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts and hearts may be revealed. And so after the birth of Jesus, we have all this activity that's happening around him, but Joseph and Mary are remaining steadfast, and they're, they're doing the things that they need to do. They're, they're law-abiding citizens. And so Mary and Joseph are under the law, and so they, they take him in to be presented uh, to the Lord. And so when they take him in, as you read through this passage, one of the things that strikes me is over and over you see, you know, according to the law of Moses, according to the law of the Lord, the law of the Lord. And so when you're looking through what Mary and Joseph are doing, it's out of obedience. And so there's a law that they're under that they're being obedient to. And that law is, is something that uh, is an Old Testament law that they're continuing to have to keep until that time that Christ's ministry is you know, come to fruition and Jesus has been recognized, but they're under the law. And that being under the law is something that is, is relevant for all of us because we are, we are all under the law. Now, Christ has set us free in that. He came to not replace it, to fulfill it. And so some of the laws that we, that we look through in the Old Testament, um, Jesus has fulfilled those. And so circumcision was one of those things in the Old Testament that identified you as one of God's people. It was one of the things that you did to make sure that you were one of the people of God. It was a part of how you worked out your salvation was that obedience. And so that law has been fulfilled in Christ. And now we're talking about circumcisions of the heart. And so we place our faith commitment in in Christ, and then we get baptized. And so baptism is that new circumcision that Paul refers to. So baptism is one of the things that we do now. Circumcision is no longer something that identifies you with Christ. It's your baptism that identifies you with Christ. And so the law has been fulfilled into, in Christ, but the law is something that is really relevant for us. We need to be familiar with Old Testament law and why we do the things that we need to do. You know, back in uh, Exodus in chapter 13, you know, we get, a, we get the uh, understanding of why uh, this, this Levitical law is, is important. You know, in the book of Leviticus, if you remember, it's the Exodus from uh, Egypt, uh, God's people have been freed from their slavery, and after they get, uh, after they get out of Egypt, uh, and they're in the land, and so there's some guidelines for how we're to relate to God now, now that we're out of slavery. And, and in, in chapter 13 of Exodus, um, there's, there's some laws that talk about how we consecrate our firstborn children to God now so that we can remember the slavery that God has freed us from. And so this consecration that Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus to is, is, is a result of this remembering that God has delivered us from slavery. He's giving us a promised Savior. And so they're bringing him as a result of this, this law of, of, of being obedient to honoring their firstborn and offering him up to the Lord. In Exodus 13, in chapter 13, verse 11, it says, the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites. When he brings you into this land... Uh, as he swore that he would do to your fathers, he's going to give it to you. You shall set apart to the Lord all the first that come from the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of the donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. If you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of a man among your sons you shall redeem. And when it comes time for your sons, and they ask you, why did you have to do that? You shall say to them, By the strong hand of the Lord, he brought us up out of Egypt and has delivered us from slavery. And so they got out of slavery as they're moving into the land of the Canaanites, as they're taking over and moving into the promised land. The Lord says, 
every one of your firstborn, I want you to offer them up to me so that you can remember what I've accomplished for you throughout history. And so part of what we do when we do child dedications in Springbrook, this is kind of what a child dedication is. It's, a, it's an opportunity for parents to recognize the saving work of Christ in their own life, and they're offering their children up is a, is a blessing unto the Lord. And so it's an opportunity for them to remember the work that Christ has done in their life, and they're offering their children up as, uh, to make a commitment to raise them with an understanding of who God is and how to have a relationship with Christ. And so that law is fulfilled uh, by Mary and Joseph when they come to the temple. There's another law that uh, appears in uh, the book of Leviticus. Um, every time a woman has a child, she needs to come before the Lord to make uh, an offering for that. In, uh, in Leviticus chapter 12, and verse 6, it says, When the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, that's a year old for the burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord, and he shall make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot find a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for the burnt offering, one for the offering of the sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. And so we see Mary and Joseph coming to the priest, coming before the temple to make their offerings to Jesus as a result of the law that we find in the Old Testament. And so the law, the structure of how we relate to God is important. And then we also see in this passage in Luke, we see many mentions of the Holy Spirit. You know, Simeon was led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit told him he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in spirit into the temple. And so we see a working of the law and the Holy Spirit together as Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus into this temple. And I think the law and the Spirit, those things need to work together. I think when we read through Scripture and we read through, you know, the commandments of Scripture, when Jesus tells us how we're to live our life, there's a sense that that law or that the, the way that we should be living our life is something that pushes against us. I think a lot of people think of the law, they think of commandments, they think of the Bible as something that's stuffy and it's, it's no fun and, and nobody wants to be told what to do. But you know what? The law is important to our life. It's, it's important that we have some structure with how we relate to God. There's some things that we should be doing. And so we see Mary and Joseph doing that. And then we also see in Simeon, we see this, this spirit working in and through their lives as well. You know, there's an idea that he is spirit-led. And sometimes when people think about spirit-led, it's, it's as if they're, they're casting off restraints. There are, there are no boundaries. I can do whatever I want because the spirit told me I could do that. Well, that's not true. The Spirit operates in a way that it's consistent with what we find in God's Word. And so the Holy Spirit and the law work together in a person's life. And that's what's happening with Simeon and Joseph and Mary. All this is happening at the temple. We see the law and the Holy Spirit all working together to point us to the reality of who Jesus is and and how we need to live our lives out today. And we don't know much about Simeon. Um, We know that uh, he has some temple duties we don't, there's really not a lot uh, other than this passage that really talks about who Simeon is. He's got temple duties, but there's some things about his life that I think we can glean to apply to our own lives. He's, he's, he's righteous and he's devout. He has set himself apart for the Lord. He has been waiting for years for the coming Messiah. He has been praying, Lord, let me see the Messiah before I die. And, and, and the Lord answers his prayer. And so we know that he's righteous, he's set himself apart, he's devout. You know, we know that he's older, he's getting towards the end of his years, and he's waiting for this consolation of Israel. When you're looking down, when he's talking about um, the Holy Spirit working in there, uh, Simeon was righteous, devout, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And this consolation of Israel was the, was the waiting in anticipation of what God was going to do. Back in Isaiah chapter 40, um, Isaiah is writing to uh, God's people. He's giving them a warning uh, to turn uh, from their ways to follow a loving God. And so he's reading through Isaiah. It's just filled with warnings and, and uh, helping the people to understand the importance of turning back to God. And so there's a lot of judgment as you're reading through Isaiah. But there's also a lot of hope. You know, we know more about Jesus from, from any other book in the Old Testament from Isaiah. It all comes from Isaiah. It's just filled with prophecies that have come true about Jesus. And so there's judgment in there, but there's also hope. In Isaiah chapter 40, um, Isaiah writes this, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. 
Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity will be pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground will become level and through the rough places will become plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so Isaiah is taking a passage and talking about what comfort is Israel looking for? They're, they're waiting for a savior. And in this passage from Isaiah, we'll also see, you know, John the Baptist going before Jesus, preparing the way of the Lord. And so all of these passages in Isaiah 40 are pointing to the reality and the hope that we, we have in Christ. And he talks about the comfort. And so when, when we're talking about Simeon, who has been praying for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit being upon him, it's praying for that comfort that Isaiah promised hundreds of years ago and, and sort of recognition that this is now coming true. The Holy Spirit had told Simeon he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ. And so Simeon is celebrating that reality. I have seen the Lord's coming before I die. And in the midst of this passage, um, we see Simeon celebrating what that means for him. In verses 29 and 32, Simeon says, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all the people a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. Simeon is older in his age. He has been faithful for years. He is getting towards the end of his life. And so he's recognizing that now that he has seen his, his servant, now that he has seen Jesus born, he is now letting his servant depart. He is prepared now to go stand before God. You know, so he is at the end of his life. And I tell you, there's something about being around somebody that has been faithful for years. We've got some uh, seniors. We've got some men at Springbrook that I just love to be around. They have had a walk with Christ longer than I've been alive. <laughs> you know, it is encouraging. When you get around people of faith that have been devout, that have been setting themselves apart, it is encouraging. And I just, I get this picture of Simeon, an old man who has for years been waiting for the coming Messiah now celebrating the reality, now is holding in his hands that Messiah. He's holding him up and he is celebrating. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the people. You know, this baby Jesus born in the manger, the one that we've come together to celebrate is our Savior. It's the anticipated Savior throughout, throughout all of the Old Testament as they're waiting for a Savior, they're waiting for a Savior, they're now born. And when I read stuff like this and when I read through studies like this, I just can't understand how the Pharisees could not get that. How do the Pharisees look at the birth of Jesus? How do they not see all the ways that the, the Bible has been fulfilled through the birth of Christ? If you were to take a couple of passages from the Old Testament and see where they're fulfilled in the New Testament, I mean, if you found one, yeah, maybe, 10, maybe, I mean, there's hundreds of passages in the Old Testament that have now been fulfilled in Christ. How can somebody not look at Jesus and understand that he is who he claims to be? And want to place their faith and their hope in that. You know, people are indifferent to who Christ is. Many people don't want to embrace their need for a Savior. Many people are indifferent. Many people are hostile. But I love Simeon's response. He understands who Jesus is and he responds appropriately. And each one of us is called to do that as well. Each one of us has to decide what we're going to do with Jesus, don't we? Is he a Savior or is he just a baby in the manger? Is he a Savior or just somebody that we're going to celebrate once a year? You know, Jesus changes everything for us. And then he also gives a sign to Mary and Jonah, or to Joseph. He says this, he blessed them and he said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. In other words, Jesus changes everything. Some are going to fall and some are going to rise. And so there's going to be some conflict that comes about as a result of your son being born here. And, and this is going to be a sign that is opposed uh, and the sword will pierce through your own soul as well. And so when you get a glimpse of Mary standing at the cross, when Jesus is hanging on that cross, and you get a sense of Mary, his mother, sitting there watching all that happen, you know, Simeon is pointing them to the fact that you're going to be pierced as well. This new child is going to cause you some pain as well. though, So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is all going to happen 
so that the thoughts and the hearts of many may be revealed. Christ's death on the cross forces us to make a decision about who he is. And, and, and through his birth and through his death, our hearts and our thoughts are revealed. How are our hearts and our thoughts revealed? First of all, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. We have to recognize that we need a Savior. God is perfect and we are not. And so the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and our need for a Savior. The second way that our hearts are, our, our thoughts are revealed is our understanding about Christ's birth and what that means for his dying on the cross for us. Jesus' birth and his death show us the nature of our sin, the nature of our rebellion, the nature of our wanting to be our own kings. And so through Jesus' birth and through his death on the cross, our hearts are revealed as the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and we wrestle through the implications of what happened on the cross on our behalf. And then our hearts are revealed and our thoughts are revealed as we think about our, our attitudes and our affections towards God. Our hearts are revealed as we come together to celebrate the birth of our Savior together. Our hearts are revealed in a sense that we want to be here this morning to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior. There's a lot of places you could be right now, but you have chosen to come together to encourage one another, to be encouraged because our afflictions and our, our hearts and our, our attitudes are leaning towards him. And so I just want to encourage you this morning as we celebrate you know, the birth of Jesus to think about what is it that you've done with this baby Jesus in the manger? What will we do with this God? Will we live for him? Will we follow him? Do we recognize that he provides the help that we need? He's the one that provides us joy and peace and love, that he is our provider? You know, this is not an intellectual issue. It is a heart issue. We can study through Scripture, and we can, we can look at the, the reality of who Christ is here, but we each have to have our hearts, you know, come in line with what our priorities are. And so Scripture is important as it points to Christ, but this is a heart issue that we're talking about. So what do you feel as you go through this Christmas holiday? I enjoy time with our family. I know there's some football games going on. I enjoy, there's so many things for us to enjoy as we come together to celebrate, you know, this day. What does our hearts feel as it leans toward who God is and what that means in our lives? This is a hard issue that, that we're talking about. And so as we move through Christmas, it's an opportunity for us to evaluate our, our hearts. We give celebration for who Christ is, but it's also an opportunity for us to, to, to evaluate our own hearts. We shared this passage last night as we talked about the reality of who Christ is and what he's accomplished for us. And, you know, the, the reality that each one of us needs to make a decision about who's going to be first in our life. Is he going to be king or am I going to be my own king? Am I indifferent to Christ or is, is Christ somebody that I want to pursue and know and follow? Or am I hostile to Christ? There's probably not a lot of people here this morning that are hostile to Christ. I don't know, maybe you got, maybe you got a drug here. You're probably not watching online if you're hostile to Christ. You know, many people are hostile to Christ, but each one of us has to make a decision about what we're going to do with this baby. You know, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, you know, you will be saved. You know, it's a heart issue that we each must wrestle with. It's for the heart that one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. God cares about our hearts. Obedience flows out of a heart for God. And when we approach God from a legal perspective without the heart issue, then we're no more than the Pharisees. We're going to wrestle through Scripture looking for salvation, and that's not what God's looking for. He's looking for a heart that leans towards God. David was a man after God's own heart. It's a heart issue that we each must wrestle through. And if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Jesus is our Savior, and we're celebrating the reality of what that means for us today. And if that's a decision you've already made, then, then we're praying that God would continue to fill us with his spirit on a routine basis so that we can accomplish what God has for us individually and collectively as the body of Christ. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says that you're saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Jesus is our Savior. It's a gift that God has given us. There's no greater gift that we can celebrate than the gift of God's Son. And so there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. And we have been saved. We've been set apart to do the work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And he calls you into a relationship with himself so that you can be a part of what he wants to accomplish in a watching world. 
And so we've been given spiritual gifts. We're called to be the body of Christ together. And so we're, we get to celebrate who we are together as the body of Christ. And so we have people that are connected to our church. We have people that are connected and learning together in small groups. We have people that are using their spiritual gifts to accomplish what God has for us together. And as a, as a result of what he's doing in us, you know, people in our community get an opportunity to hear and know more about Christ. So we're witnesses in our community. And so we get to have an impact on our community. And then we get to be a part of what God's doing throughout our region as we think about the partnerships that we have with some of the conferences where we're planting churches and we're part of ministries that are impacting our nation and our world for Christ. As we think about the missionaries that we support, we're a part of something great that God's doing. And it is all rooted in the reality of what we've done with this baby. And so it's my prayer for us as we move through uh, this holiday season, as we prepare for what God has for us moving into 2023, that we can begin to experience more of the abundant life that is ours. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to his power that is working in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him be the glory in the church. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. It is not this building. We can gather together anywhere. When we do that, God is glorified. God has given us gifts so that he might be glorified. And so who we are together is an important part of how God accomplishes his plan and who we are in Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. This church is going to continue to go on long after you and I are gone. And so the word of God is going to continue to go on long after we're gone, for generations and generations, until that time that Christ returns again. Either he's going to return and take us to be with him, or we're going to stand before the Lord before he returns. One way or the other, we're all going to stand before a a loving God, and and we want to be on the right side of that fence. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you're not clear about how to have a relationship with Christ, we want to encourage you this Christmas to say, hey, as I move into the next year, I want to make sure I'm clear about, about, about where Jesus is in my life. We want Jesus to be the king of our lives if you have questions about that or we can help you to experience more of what God has for you as you move into the next year, I uh, would love the opportunity to talk with you. I hope that you have a great Christmas today. We are so glad that you are here today. I read somewhere uh, that 45% of churches in America right now are not meeting. And so you've come together this morning to celebrate who Jesus is, to be encouraged in your faith, and to have your questions answered. And we are so glad that you are with us this morning. And uh, if we can help you uh, take the next step on your spiritual journey, we'd love to do that. But I hope you have a Merry Christmas. I want to thank you for being with us. Our worship team is going to come out now. Uh, We're going to close with this last song together. But uh, would you pray with me? Uh, Father, I just thank you uh, for this day that we uh, could set apart the celebration of the birth of your son. I know that the, uh, the law and the Holy Spirit are at work in our lives. And so, you know, the part of me wants to say, hey, can we just celebrate Christmas and have some fun? Uh, that's the Holy Spirit part. Because the Holy Spirit enables us to be able to do that. You know, because of the work of Christ on the cross, we can, like Simeon, say we have something to celebrate. And this is a great day for us to be able to do that. Uh, but God, at the same time, we also know that you are a just God. And so there's some things that we need to wrestle through in our own hearts as you reveal Uh, more and more of ourselves to you. God, I pray that you would draw each of us closer to yourself, that this might be a time for us to be able to celebrate, but also recognize the importance of what the birth of Christ means for us and for our families and for our friends and for a watching world that desperately needs to hear about the good news and the love of Christ. And so God, we commit uh, this day to you. We commit our lives to you, this ministry to you. And we look forward to all that you have for us for our last service of the year. Uh, God, we want to thank you for your faithfulness and for your provision And we look forward to all that you have for us as we move into this new year together. Uh, God, thank you uh, for this day. In Christ's name, amen. I hope you have a Merry Christmas, and thank you for being with us today. And together one more time, rise in body or in spirit, and let's come and worship him.
Thank you for worshiping here with us this morning. We pray that you will go in hope and in the love of Christ Jesus, our King. Go in his name to love and serve him and spread the good news that our Christ has come. Have a blessed week and a merry, merry Christmas.